welcome to Beyond the Crucible. I'm Warwick Fairfax, the founder of Crucible Leadership. Peter, these are the years when a man changes into the man he's going to become the rest of his life. Just be careful who you change into. This guy, Flash Thompson, he probably deserved what happened. But just because you can beat him up doesn't give you the right to. Remember, with great power comes great responsibility. With great power comes great responsibility. That's what Peter Parker's Uncle Ben tells him in the film we look at on this week's episode of our summer series, Lights, Camera, Crucibles, what our favorite movie heroes can teach us about living a life of significance. Hi, I'm Gary Schneeberger, co-host of the show. That counsel and wisdom from Uncle Ben and Aunt May has been a key component of three different big screen iterations of Spider-Man over the last 20 years. It's a key crucible leadership lesson Warwick and I discuss as we unpack the original Spider-Man starring Tobey Maguire from 2002. Peter Parker learns en route to becoming Spider-Man that the best life is one lived on purpose in service to others, not ourselves. That's what responsibility and the character that undergirds it look like. And it doesn't come easily or cheaply. If you're aware of Spider-Man, listener, you're aware that there's been several iterations of the character through the years. In just the last 20 years, there have been three different iterations of Spider-Man. That's because, just to give you some, some background, is the, he's the most popular character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, or in the Marvel Universe, Marvel Comic Book Universe, uh, in the history of Marvel Comics. But he's not owned by Marvel Studios, the people who put out Captain America and the Avengers and Thor and Iron Man. He was his his film rights were sold to Columbia Pictures before they formed Marvel Studios. So the so the Spider-Man movies, the first five Spider-Man movies featuring two iterations were made by Columbia Pictures in conjunction with Marvel Studios. But Marvel didn't own the rights to the character. So one of the reasons why the character has to keep being rebooted is his origin story he's a high school kid actors get older uh so they they start with one actor then they have to reboot the series to get a younger actor in place who doesn't look quite di so different from the beginning so just to again a brief history of where we're at with spider-man the first series ran as a trilogy from 2002 that was 20 years ago to 2007 the actor toby mcguire starred as the hero in that one then from 2012 to 2014, they rebooted it just five years after Tobey Maguire was done in, 20, uh, in uh, 2007. The actor Andrew Garfield assumed the role in, in two films, in a pair of movies. The character was rebooted one more time in 2016. That's just two years after Andrew Garfield's last movie. Um, but there were two major differences about that reboot. Marvel had entered a partnership with Columbia to use Spider-Man in their cinematic universe, which by that time, by, uh, by 2016, was just an enormous um, blot out the sun success with their, their Marvel Cinematic Universe films. So Marvel got a chance to work with Columbia to make uh, the, that Spider-Man in 2016, which allowed them to bring in all the other Marvel characters. The second thing is that that reboot in 2016 
did not feature uh, Spider-Man's backstory. Uh, he just sort of showed up already Spider-Man. He was still young, but he showed up already Spider-Man and, 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 and dove into the action. And his first appearance in a Marvel Studios film was in Captain America Civil War. And he's played there by actor Tom Holland. He's also played by Tom Holland in a couple of Avengers movie, um, Infinity War and Endgame. And he also has had uh, three of his own films. So he's appeared six times in Marvel Cinematic Universe, this, this new version of Spider-Man. All of that to say, important character, big history of the character, a lot of stuff to unpack, but where we're going to spend our time today is in that first movie 20 years ago in 2002, and that's Spider-Man, the original Spider-Man starring Tobey Maguire, because I think and we've discussed this, it's the most robust origin story and contains the greatest concentration of takeaways for us to guide us through our crucibles and onto the path to stay on the path of leading a life of significance. And Warwick, you and I talked about this before we started uh, uh, recording, and you indicated that it's been a while since you've seen this 2002 movie, and we're quite impressed with it, right? Yeah, it really has. I mean, I saw the 2002 and, you know, Spider-Man 2 and 3 afterwards, and, you know, like you have always loved superheroes, but, uh, you know, not only is it a great action movie, but as we'll see and unfold in this discussion, there are some tremendous lessons about overcoming failure, adversity, uh, negative self-talk, uh, encouragement from others. There are some great crucible leadership lessons about coming back from very tough circumstances. So it really is the 2002 version of Spider-Man. It's a great film to discuss in the context of crucible leadership. Yeah, and it's a lot of that comes from the origin story that the seeds are planted. What I love about that is there's crucible lessons in the origin story and then crucible lessons in his journey as Spider-Man uh, on his road, on his way to a life of significance. So the very first scene that we get in Spider-Man 2002 is a glimpse of some of Peter Parker, who's, who's the alter ego, the high school student who becomes Spider-Man. Some of his teenage crucibles. In the very first scene we meet him, he's running after a school bus, right? He's missed a school bus. Apparently it happens a lot because all the students on the bus are making fun of him, like, oh, not again, Parker. The bus driver's having a little fun at his expense by not slowing down. Um, and as everybody kind of mocks him from inside, he finally gets on the bus, but they continue to mock him. Um, he gets on the bus. He's not allowed to sit next to certain people. They're like, no, don't sit here. Even kids who don't look like the quote unquote popular kids don't want anything to do with Peter Parker. They call him lame. Uh, one of whom is the boyfriend of the proverbial girl next door who Peter admits in a voiceover he's been in love with since age six. Her boyfriend trips him and he falls flat on his face uh, in the bus. A really painful hard scene to watch because just kids can be cruel to each other, but sets this up well as this is a young man, this is a kid, a teenager who's who who knows his way around crucibles, right? Yeah, absolutely, Gary. I mean, this is something, a character that a lot of people, frankly, a lot of us can uh, identify with. There aren't that many people in which high school was their glory years. You know, you were the captain of the football team, the debate team straight-A student. I mean, very few of us were kind of 
uh, old star, Mr. Miss Popular, that kind of thing. Usually, you know, it's uh, somewhat less than that. And so here he is, this this poor guy, not particularly uh, strong or agile or athletic. He wears big, thick glasses. Uh, n- he wears big, thick glasses. <laughs> right, exactly. Sort of lame, nerdy. Everybody makes fun of him. He, he doesn't even seem like he has like a couple of fellow nerds to hang out with. Right. It just seems like he is in a category of one. Right. So it's it's pretty dismal, despondent life at that point, which, you know, it's a lot of folks can identify with. Very few people say high school was, was the best years of my life. It's usually, yeah, I survived high school for most of us. Right. And he's also very good at science, which is a front of the line pass to being loved in high school, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. I mean, as exactly opposed to being right. a football star who, you know, Mary Jane's boyfriend is a football <laughs> star. So the taunting of, of Peter Parker continues in this in this wonderful first few scenes uh, when the bus arrives at its destination, finally. And, it, and the destination is a field trip to a science lab where spiders are being studied and they're being genetically enhanced, we hear um, from from the woman who is who's leading the, the kids, um, you know, speaking to the kids who are here on the on the field trip. Peter's a photographer for the uh, student newspaper. He's trying to take pictures and the taunting continues. People keep bumping him. These bullies keep bumping him while he's trying to take pictures to ruin his photographs. And, you know, of all the heroes that we've discussed so far uh, and all the ones that we will discuss, I think it's pretty safe to say that no other hero uh, that we're going to talk about has a life as beset by crucibles as Peter Parker does. He has a lot of them. They're varied and they're kind of constant, right? Yeah. I mean, it's certainly, uh, it's certainly up there. Life is just, is not easy. I mean, here he is, he's trying to take photographs for the school paper of these fascinating spiders and he kept, you know, keeps getting bumped. In fact, I don't think he, I don't think one photo that he took, you know, worked out, you know, he ends up taking uh, some, uh, you know, photos that do, as, as we'll as we'll see of, of Mary Jane. But yeah, it's it's life is pretty tough. He doesn't seem actually despondent or depressed. It's just, hey, this is my lot in life, and oh well. But yeah, life life isn't looking too good at this point for poor young Peter Parker. Something then changes big time while he's taking pictures of Mary Jane. That is what that one of the radioactive spiders that they've that they've messed with its DNA to to implant in it. The, the the traits of uh, six or seven different spiders bites him on the hand while he's taking a picture of, of, of Mary Jane uh, Watson, who's the girl next door uh, that he's in love with. And uh, it will turn out to be a shining moment of what we say on the show all the time, right? It didn't happen to you. It happened for you. What ends up happening for Peter is that he's given the strength the ability to shoot strong webs from his wrists. He has a spider sense that warns him of danger. These are all things that he will learn throughout the course of the movie to apply to what will become a life of significance, but it doesn't start off that way at first. Um, Another one of the crucibles that Peter endured uh, before even we meet him, we find out is the death of his parents when he was six years old. We don't know how they died. We just he just mentions that his parents had passed away, and he's been raised since then by his uncle Ben and his aunt May. Sidebar: Marvel Comics did a great job in naming those characters all those years ago. I mean, who sounds nicer and sweeter <laughs> than Uncle Ben and Aunt May? It's perfect. 
And our first glimpse that Peter has a pathway to move beyond his crucibles is shown through the love and character of those two people, of Uncle Ben and Aunt May. Uh, Ben's been laid off from his job as an electrician. He's trying to find another job. He's not depressed, but he's kind of resigned to the fact that it's going to be tough. But May, his wife, Peter's aunt, says to him, you're the most responsible man I know. She says he knows he will find a job and they will once again overcome their crucibles. Somehow, she tells them, we survive. And that, I think, isn't it, is a key crucible leadership truth. You need to be surrounded by supporters who believe in you, who know your character and your worth to encourage you when the setbacks and failures come. May does that for Ben, and they both do that for Peter. That was one of the first really big aha crucible leadership moments in watching this movie again that hit me. Yeah, it's a great point, Gary. I mean, when you think about poor young Peter Parker, you know, you lose your parents at age six. It would be normal for most kids to grow up very angry. Maybe they would be act out and violent, I mean, or drugs, uh, alcohol, substance abuse that's possible and maybe even likely. So why didn't Peter Parker go down that road? He may not have been Mr. Popular, but he wasn't like suicidal. He was just, well, you know, life is not easy, but oh well. Well, you know, that's quite a victory to have an oh well attitude given, you know, losing parents at such a young age. And I think the reason that he starts off with, um, you know, some character advantages is having just wonderful, uh, a wonderful aunt and uncle in Aunt May and, and Uncle Ben. They were able throughout their lives and in the movie to teach him character lessons and sort of imbue a sense of character and right and wrong into him. It'll be tested. He'll have some challenges, you know, maybe some few setbacks, but, um, you know, you cannot underestimate enough having people that support and believe in you, you know, at any age, certainly at a young age, it really sets him up very well. But life without uh, Uncle Ben and Aunt May would have been, likely would have been radically different. And Peter Parker would have been almost inevitably a very different, probably angry, bitter young man, you would think, without those two. So those two people, in some sense, sort of uh, saved him and set him up the path to success and the true meaning of that word. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned young people. I fell in love with Spider-Man as a young people, as a young per, as a kid and reading the comic books. And I've got, it's, it was a, it was a, it was sort of a breath catching moment for me when in this newest iteration with Tom Holland as Spider-Man, Aunt May is not in, in this movie. Aunt May is like in her seventies in the, in the current version of Spider-Man, Aunt May is Marissa Tomei, who's younger than I am. So, <laughs> you know, when I saw that, I'm like, oh my gosh, this, this character was, who was always <laughs> like this matronly elderly woman in the comic books is now this, this woman who was, you know, a, a young actress and he, who's younger than me. That was a, that was a tough, that was a crucible moment <laughs> for me as a Spider-Man fan when that happened. Uh, but I digress. I digress. Um <laughs> Peter reveals the character that Aunt May and Uncle Ben have baked into him when he has a conversation with Mary Jane, the girl next door who he's in love with secretly, after her father berates her and insults her, as he does quite a bit. She's unsure about her future and her popularity. She's a popular girl at school, but that's all kind of emotional artifice. Uh, it's a facade. 
But Peter tells her that she should indeed pursue her dream of acting, that she's going to, he says this, you're going to light up Broadway. He's the only one who believes in her. And I think this is another truth we can take away. We all need, don't we, Peter Parker's to help us turn our visions into reality. And that's what he does for Mary Jane, for sure. Yeah, it's such a good point, Gary. I mean, you know, as we look at a, a young uh, Peter Parker in this in this movie, yes, he has physical superpowers, but he has the emergence of some character superpowers. He has a sense of, ca- of character, of right and wrong and justice. And throughout the movie, he has tremendous empathy, a tremendous ability to encourage. I mean, I can't think of too many superheroes with his level of empathy or ability to encourage on a consistent basis and to see the best in people, almost sort of like a a foresight. I mean, he affirms her acting ability. He says, uh, you know, sometimes you know people and you know where they're headed. This is all in their backyards. There's their houses that are next to each other. And as you say, he says he's going to light up Broadway. Now, you know, Mary Jane has the boyfriend of, you know, the, uh, high school quarterback, star football right. player. He's the big jock she's a, who probably isn't good at yeah. science. <laughs> no, I mean, she's attractive. So why does he go out with her? Because she's a, she's a, an attractive high school girl. I don't think it's because of a wonderful character, you know? And so that's what you know, a lot of guys in school see. But yeah, she's an attractive young girl. But uh, Peter sees a lot more than that. He sees who she is as a person. She feels seen in the best sense of that word, like her character, her uh, her goals, um, just her that sense of affirmation. Right, her ability. Yeah, her ability that, that sense of affirmation. I don't think she's ever had a guy say that to her. So she looks at him almost in this quizzical, and you know, Peter was so shy that he couldn't say boo to her. He, he could never even o- open his mouth. So it's a tremendous scene of somebody that's very shy, but just really thinking of somebody else in these wonderful, affirming, empathetic words. It's a great scene. Well, and I'm glad that you brought up her boyfriend, Flash Thompson. I'm going to say it. We, I don't think we ever said this on on uh, Beyond the Crucible, but he's a jerk. Flash Thompson's a bit of a jerk. Um, uh, he's the guy who tripped Peter on the bus, and Peter ends up getting into a fight with him at school. Uh, as his powers begin to manifest themselves in the cafeteria, webs, uh, you know, his web fluid shoots out of his wrist. It uh, it, it ends up knocking a uh, lunch um, tray into Flash Thompson, and he gets you know food all over himself. And then he wants to he wants to fight Peter because Peter's a weak kid, and he's going to be able to beat him up. Well. Peter's changed a bit since he's been bitten by that spider. He gets into a fight with Flash at school. He wins easily, demonstrating some of those powers that he now has. Strength, his spider sense of some something bad's going to happen, agility. And even at that time, some people cheer for him. Some of the kids who were watching the fight cheer for him. The underdog kids who maybe have been picked on by Flash, too. But Flash's pals and all the popular kids are, you know, they're, they kind of like think Peter's even weirder than they thought before. And it's in that moment, in winning that fight, what, what happens after he wins that fight is where Peter begins to, you, you hinted at it earlier, begins to kind of wobble a little bit in his character. He begins to wobble a little bit in, in that goodness that Aunt May and Uncle Ben have tried to place into him. He's jealous of Flash Thompson's car when he when Flash comes up to to meet Mary Jane outside of 
her house, which is right next to Peter's house. And he sees this really new, this really great car he just got as a gift. Uh, so Peter thinks if I get a car, maybe I could get Mary Jane. It's unspoken, but we next see him looking through the paper at, at, at ads for cars that are for sale, used cars. And he keeps looking at that's too expensive. That's too expensive. That's too expensive. And he finally lands at one that's like under $3,000. He thinks, okay, that might work for me, but he has no money. So he can't buy it. But next to those ads is this big ad that says $3,000 for amateur wrestlers. And he thinks, Hmm, I just got in a fight with the, you know, with the most popular um, football captain of the football team at school and beat him pretty easily. He's pretty certain his powers are going to help him in pursuit of this $3,000. So he decides he's going to go ahead and do it. He makes himself this kind of amateur suit, which is kind of funny looking. He tells Uncle Ben he's going to the library to study and he catches a ride with Uncle Ben. And it's in that ride to the to what is actually being dropped off so we can go to the wrestling match that uncle Ben has a heart to heart with Peter and unpack that. That was in the clip at the start of the show where uncle Ben is talking to Peter about some things that concern him, but that's a, that's a moving, meaningful clip, not just in this, in the context of this film, but in the context of our lives, all of us, as we look to avoid crucibles, overcome crucibles and lead the life of significance. So talk a little bit about why that scene with uncle Ben and what uncle Ben says to Peter is so powerful. So this is a pivotal moment in the film. You know, one of the things we say often on this series about superheroes and sports heroes, uh, and beyond the crucible, is when you're given great powers, yes, there's great responsibility, but there's temptations. It can either, in Star Wars language, make you go to the dark side or, uh, you know, the, the forces of light. And so it, it's, it's tempting. Initially, uh, as you say, Peter wobbles a bit. He kind of enjoys going from nerdy to being strong, athletic, agile. He enjoys being able to pound uh, his nemesis, the bully, right. uh, Flash Thompson, the you know captain of the football team, he kind of gets a kick out of it. Who knew, by the way, that spiders have twenty twenty vision because he gets to take his glasses off too. His <laughs> eyes become perfect. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There you go. Some benefits. So um, yeah, it, it, it's stunning. So here he is trying to earn some money, um, you know, to get a, a flash car to impress the girl, and it just seems like he is beginning to lose sight of uh you know right. the tremendous opportunity that he has mm -hmm. and you know initially he's getting a little self-centered and so uncle ben just uh gives him you know the talk of his life you know this incredible uh, wisdom in which he says you know these are the years high school years as a young person that determine who who you will be for the rest of your life he then says in, in, in the uh, quote we saw in the clip, he says, remember, with great power comes great responsibility. He says, just because you can uh, beat somebody up, you know, doesn't mean uh, that you have a right to, you know, uh, uh, you know, as in, you know, Peter beating up the, uh, the bully in, in high school. So, you know, basically the sense that the gifts and talents, we can either use it for our own you know, wealth, power, to be superior to others, or we can use it to serve our fellow human beings, men and women that we come in contact with. We can either 
lead a life of significance, a life on purpose dedicated to serving others, or we can lead a narcissistic life, you know, focused on our own aggrandizement and wealth and power. Yeah. And, you know, uh, we'll see his uh, superhero nemesis chooses the opposite path. But uh, this is a pivotal moment for Peter Parker. Which path is he going to choose? Right. And what's really interesting about that scene that, that you've just talked about and that we played the clip for at the beginning of the show is that Uncle Ben has no idea that any of this stuff is going on underneath the surface. Uncle Ben has no idea Peter's been bitten by a spider and now has the powers, the proportionate powers of a spider. He has no idea of that. He has no idea um, that he is about, you know, he's not going to study, that he's going to run off to this wrestling match to try to make $3,000 uh, to use his powers for his, his own gain. He has none of that, none of that, that context Uncle Ben has, but what he sees in his, in his nephew, in, in the, in the boy he's raised, he sees he's veering off course in other ways. There's, there's a scene earlier on where um, he was going to help Uncle Ben paint the, 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 the house, um, you know, the uh, kitchen. And he says, hey, don't be late. And Peter leaves. I won't be late. But he's, you know, Peter spends the time instead testing out his, you know, his his spider powers. He's climbing walls. He's doing all those things. And he forgets all about helping Uncle Ben. And it was, you know, we haven't talked about this in advance, but there was that scene was so was so so speaks to the power or, or the character of his uncle Ben that rather than yell at him for not showing up to help out his 68 year old uncle paint the, the kitchen, he leaves a warm food in the oven and writes a note where he calls them Michelangelo because that's what he called him about, about helping him paint. I mean, there's this loving response to Peter's irresponsibility. And that's what he's, what he's, what he's drilling into in this conversation that you just talked about, where he's, he's, he's saying with great power comes great responsibility, even though he doesn't know how great the power is that Peter has. And that's kind of a beautiful, um, it shows the insight that those closest to us can have to our character and sometimes that we might stumble through it and we should listen. Absolutely. And I think it goes to show the value of people in our life. It could be a mom, a dad, an aunt, an uncle, close friends, uh, family members. It could be a teacher in school. There are people that can change our lives by not just their love, but by their words. You know, it can sort of change it can change your life. Uh, I mean, it makes me think of certainly a pivotal moment in my life that listeners will be familiar with, and it's in my book, Crucial Leadership. In 1976, when, you know, as most listeners know, I grew up in a large 150-year-old family media business in Australia. Newspapers, TV, radio was very big. In 1976, uh, some other family members chewed my father out as, as chairman and absolutely crushed him. Uh, that that would happen. And I remember having a conversation with him and he said, you know, you know, I need to forgive them for what they did because it's the right thing to do. That's what God, I forget if he said, that's what God or that's what Jesus would have me do. And it's the right thing for you because uh, he saw me as the heir apparent and he wanted to try to make sure that, um, you know, one day that I'd be the leading figure in, in the company. So, when my dad said, you know, said, I am going to, I mean, is it, was it perfect? I don't know. When he said, I'm going to make the decision to forgive other family members for what they did throwing me out as chairman. That was one of the most powerful life lessons I've ever learned. And I was 15 at the time. It was, you know, probably a little younger than Peter Parker here. I was burned into my psyche, just the sense of character, 
of doing the right thing no matter what, of having integrity, and just the importance of forgiveness. Mm. That was a, a lesson that was burned into my soul for the rest of my life. So, in a sense, um, that's the moment that Peter Parker has from his Uncle Ben. It's the kind of lesson like the one I had that just burns into your soul. Unfortunately, right off the bat, when it happens, when that conversation with Uncle Ben happens, Peter doesn't quite get it. Peter actually gets upset with Uncle Ben for lecturing him, quote unquote. He actually says to him at one point, you know, Uncle Ben backs up and says, okay, you know, I, I know I'm not your father. And Peter cuts him off and says, well, then stop acting like it. And it just devastates Uncle Ben. The last moment that they have together before he, before Peter leaves the car and goes off to wrestle is, you know, Uncle Ben is clearly wounded and Peter's angry and they part. Peter does go on to uh, the wrestling match and he wins. And another thing that was extremely exciting to me as a young uh a fan of professional wrestling when I was a young uh, uh, man. Um, the wrestler who he beats is uh, played by uh, the wrestler Macho Man Randy Savage, and he's just perfect. I mean, total aside to what we're talking about, but it's just he's just this brutal. He's beating everybody up. One guy he beats up leaves the ring and is like, I can't feel my legs. You know, there's all kinds of that stuff going on. But he gets in the ring with with this kid in this weird costume that's got spider stuff on it. And, and, and the kid, Peter Parker, beats him. So Peter goes backstage to collect his $3,000 from the promoter and the promoter gives him a hundred bucks to which Peter negotiates into 200 bucks. But, you know, he says, Hey, I was going to pay you three grand for three minutes and you, and you beat him early. Peter was so strong. He beat the uh, bone saw McGraw. He beat him. He, he beat him in, in like two minutes. So he, he gets cheated. And I got to say, that's a great name, right? For a wrestler, Bone Saw McGraw. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't get any better than that. That may be better than Macho Man Randy Savage, actually. But yeah, it's it's <laughs> it, it's quite good. And um, so what ends up happening then is Peter like walks away and and um, uh, he's he's mad. He's 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 just been cheated out of the this money that he thinks is going to make his his way to have a car and then woo Mary Jane. And he's got a couple hundred bucks in his pocket, which is nothing. Um, but then the promoter gets robbed. A thief runs in, steals the bag that has all the money from the gate receipts from this uh, wrestling match. And uh, he, he runs off. And as he's running off at the at the elevator, he, he bumps. He doesn't bump into Peter. He runs past Peter Parker and he says to, you know, and Peter just looks at him and the guy says, thanks. And he gets in the elevator and goes. And um, I know you were, uh, were were kind of struck by the the dialogue that went on between Peter and the promoter, both in the promoter's office before the robbery, uh, burglary, and then after when Peter doesn't stop the uh, robber. Yeah, it's uh, it's a really one of the saddest moments in the movie. It's almost a um, a biblical, like a, a Peter moment when um, Jesus is, you know being sort of harangued by the you know religious leaders of the Sanhedrin and they're putting him on trial and people ask Peter, weren't you one of his gang? And Peter's asked three times, oh, never knew him, no, don't know who he is. Right. Uh, you know, he sort of, it's the, what, like the lowest moment of uh, Peter's life. And it's somewhat similar in that um, earlier on, uh, you know, often we hear the voices of evil and the voices of good, depending on your religious or philosophical paradigm. We can learn lessons from our good mentors, like an Uncle Ben. Well, here, unfortunately, 
young Peter Parker was mentored briefly by this promoter. So this promoter, you know, when he's going to give him $200, not 3000 the promoter says, hey, you know, I missed the part where it's my problem. Right, right. It's like, look, you didn't finish the full three minutes, not my problem. Okay, so he's just being disciple in, in a sense, and uh, maybe not evil, but uh, poor character. So then uh, later on when the promoter says to, uh, the rest of the promoter says to Peter Parker, hey, why don't you stop him? And Peter shoots back, hey, I missed the part where it's my problem. He uses the promoter's words right. against him. It's the self-centered, hey, you know, why should I care for my fellow, you know, uh, men or women? It's like, not my problem. So he was almost got a bit of discipleship, a bit of mentoring. And, you know, it's all it's all about number one, narcissism, nobody else matters, get rich, uh, everybody else, who cares? It was it was a sad moment, as, as we'll see, that comes back to bite him in a major way. Yeah, and, and that bite's going to be worse than the spider bite, for sure. And the other thing that makes it um, uh, sad is that it's that that happens no more than a couple hours after Uncle Ben has told him, given him that great advice, with great power comes great responsibility. And Peter, in that moment at the elevator, fails his first test of wielding great power with great responsibility. Um, and as you said, that will come back to bite him. It comes back to bite him when we find out in the next scene that the thief carjacks Uncle Ben and shoots him to death. Peter arrives just in time to see Uncle Ben die. And the filmmakers do a great job. There's no there's no final words that, that Uncle Ben gets to say to Peter or Peter gets to say to Uncle Ben. Um, he he recognizes Peter and then he dies. So there's no chance for Peter to, to apologize or for Uncle Ben to offer forgiveness. It's just Peter's then we know is just stuck with this 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 hole in his heart and remembering that the last thing he ever really spoke to Uncle Ben was "You're not my father." Quit acting like it. Peter is distraught after that, obviously, and he chases down um, the carjacker who. Once he gets him, he sees the carjacker is the man he let leave in the elevator. He, he discovers that the, this carjacker, he could have stopped the carjacker before the carjacking never happened, but he was, it wasn't his problem then. He had just gotten rooked out of some money and he was going to pay back that, that uh, unkindness to the promoter. He did, and that, that robber then got away hijacked Uncle Ben, shot him to death. And Peter then begins to, you know, as Spider-Man begins to really pound on the guy, beat him. He, he, he kind of, we get the, the, the idea that he intends to kill him. Um, the guy says, you know, show me some mercy. And Peter's like, just like you showed my Uncle Ben, he takes the mask off that he's wearing, the, the, the kind of um, amateurish mask he's wearing so that the, the robber can see this is, I'm the guy that you ran past in the, in the promoter's uh, uh, building. And he's like, don't kill me. And, and Peter's like, you know, I'm not going to show you, you know, should I, I'll show you mercy. Like you showed my uncle Ben. We don't know. Great. Another great decision by the filmmaker. We don't know if Peter, if Peter was going to kill him or not, the guy, he doesn't get the chance. The guy trips on something and falls out of an upper story window to his death. Um, but that scene again, really brings home the, the power of, as you were saying, it, it was not, tell me again how this is my problem. Now he realizes 
it is his problem because it's just cost him his beloved uncle. Yeah. I mean, sometimes when you say it's not my problem, it can mean maybe people are hurt that you don't know. But sometimes it may mean people are hurt that you do know and you love and care about. You know, it's uh, you never know kind of what's going to happen. So it's a very sad scene. And uh, Peter is now really saddled with this sense of, of guilt of, gee, it's my responsibility that my beloved uncle died. You know, I said he, you know, I had a tough conversation with him, said he wasn't my real dad. So I ended things in a bad way didn't have a chance to reconcile. And because I was so self-centered and self-focused, I let this bad guy not just hurt and kill some person I don't know, but somebody I love as much as anybody in the world other than maybe Aunt May. Uh, So obviously he feels understandably incredibly guilty and responsible for what happened. So sometimes... You know, you will make horrific mistakes in your life. And clearly, this is a big one. Is he responsible for his, you know, for Uncle Ben's death? I mean, that's probably a bit harsh, but but he feels that, and that's the point. And so, really, the test, as we'll see in the rest of the movie, is just going to destroy this crucible. It's almost maybe one of not the toughest crucible. He is feeling is responsible for Uncle Ben's death. Is that guilt going to drive him to narcissism to alcohol to substance abuse would be very understandable if it did, completely understandable. Or will he choose to uh, learn the lessons of his crucible, let it refine him, and somehow use that pain for a purpose to help others? It's a pivotal moment, and we'll see which which choice he makes. Is it to go to the dark side of self-destruction or to the light of really empowering, encouraging, and helping others? It's a critical, pivotal moment in his life. And one of the things that really helps cement his decision and where he goes is that after Uncle Ben's funeral, he has a conversation with his other guardian, with his Aunt May. Peter's distraught. And Aunt May doesn't know exactly why. She doesn't know anything about Spider-Man, anything about the wrestling match, but she knows Peter's upset. And she understands that because of how important Uncle Ben has been to his life. But she takes the time again, the power of encouragement. She says this to him, you loved him and he loved you. She says to Peter, he never doubted the man you'd grow into, how you were meant for great things. You won't disappoint him. That's exactly the kind of support and belief we need to offer others as they look to regain their footing after a crucible to help them see and take aim at a life of significance. That's what Aunt May does to him, for him, in his darkest, most desperate moment. And it changes exactly as you said. Who knows where he could have gone without that exhortation, without that truth from Aunt May, which basically it's it's Aunt May acting as a surrogate for Uncle Ben, not knowing what transpired in the car, but basically saying he loved you. He believed in you fill in the blanks. He's not mad at you for, 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 you know, losing your cool in the car with him and saying hurtful things. He knows the kind of man you're going to grow into. And that does indeed change everything for Peter, right? Absolutely. I mean, I guess the thought that occurs to me is that we all need Aunt Mays in our life. Yep. We need people in our lowest moments when we might be on the edge of a self-destructive spree. You know, uh, I think most of us have been at points in our life where 
we felt bad about ourselves or bad about what happened to us from somebody else. And it's very easy to get into a self-destructive spiral that can be difficult to get out of. Having somebody like an Aunt May in our darkest times, as we say in Christian leadership, at the bottom of the pit to say, you are worth it, you are valued, I love you, I believe in you. And your beloved uncle also loved you and believed in you. And, you know, you won't disappoint him, you didn't disappoint him. That kind of belief and encouragement and support when, you know, we hate ourselves, we're at the bottom of the pit, we just hate life, you know, it's not going to necessarily change us overnight, but those drops of encouragement, of grace, of forgiveness, of belief, they can help give you fuel to begin to climb out of the pit and really move towards the light to a life of significance. But it's not easy to do without Aunt May's. Right. But having an Aunt May is sort of like a, a turbocharger that greatly increases your ability to get out of the pit and to move into a more positive direction. It's a great scene, and uh, yet we all need Aunt May's in our life. And to your point, uh, the, Peter begins to live out his life of significance right after that conversation. He does it by patrolling the streets of New York at night and stopping criminals in the act. Now, he dubs himself Spider-Man, and, and more crucibles come. The publisher of the of the uh, newspaper, uh, uh, J. Jonah uh, Jameson, the uh, Daily Bugle publisher, he labels him a menace and a threat, but he's just trying to sell newspapers. It turns some in the city against him, but Spider-Man doesn't let it bother him. Peter doesn't let it bother him. He also then must encounter and face his first supervillain, not just guys who are robbing banks or robbing stores. He's got to face a supervillain, the Green Goblin. And the Green Goblin was driven violent and mad by a formula he developed and took himself to try to win a government contract. The Goblin, and Peter doesn't know this, but the Goblin is the father of his best friend, Harry Osborne. The Goblin is industrialist Norman Osborne, who you know has taken a bit of a shine to Peter. Peter doesn't know he's the Goblin at this point, but he's he's been driven mad by his own creation because he was he was he was greedy and he wanted to win this government contract. And what's interesting about his character, the Green Goblin, is he's a bit like the Joker from the Batman movies. In one of the Batman movies starring Christian Bale in The Dark Knight, where Heath Ledger won an Oscar for his portrayal of the Joker, Batman's like, what is asking Alfred, what makes someone like the Joker the Joker? And and uh, Alfred says, some guys just like to set the world on fire and watch it burn. And that's kind of where where the Green Goblin comes from as Norman Osborn gets a little bit, a little bit more mad. Um, but he recognizes after a battle with Peter that Peter's got some, or that Spider-Man, he doesn't know it's Peter yet, uh, that Spider-Man uh, has some skills that could benefit him in whatever the scheme is to make money and, you know, harness power. And he, he tries to turn Peter over to his side. He says the people will hate him despite all of the good he's doing. And he asks him why he bothers. And I love Peter's response, especially now at this point in the show, Peter responds when he says why he bothers to do good, even though people are going to be, are going to hate him eventually. Peter's response to the green goblin is because it's the right thing to do. Well, you just said that Warwick like five minutes ago when you were talking about why your dad, when you asked your dad why he forgave those family members who threw him out of the company, uh, because it's the right thing to do. And that's the kind of character that Peter has here now developed, developing. 
That's what we mean when we say your values must undergird all you do as you move beyond your crucible toward a life of significance. Have an anchor for your soul. Peter Parker, Spider-Man, has that anchor for his soul, or he would not have been able to answer the Green Goblin that way about why he does it. He understands it's not about um, anything more than what's right and what's wrong, and that's what he's trying to pursue, right? That's a yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a fascinating scene, and uh, you know, we've got Norman Osborn as the Goblin uh, against um, Peter Parker as Spider Man, and not only is it a test of you know physical superhero strength, it's a battle of character, and it's a battle of the forces of evil versus the forces of light. And it's interesting, just some of the backstory, as you were saying, with Norman Osborn, he's all about himself, about ego, about money. He's desperate to get this big government contract with the Defense Department, uh, the, you know, the top generals and the Pentagon. They don't really believe in what he's doing. They think the guy's a bit of a fruitcake. And so they're just waiting to pull the plug. And so desperate is he and so greedy that he does something insane and uses this kind of serum on himself that, you know, turns him into a madman. One of the key scientists says, you know, there are, uh, there are side effects to this that can, you know, potentially turn you uh, insane and psychotic. You know, it's a risk. But uh, the guy is too self-absorbed, narcissistic, and indeed it turns him insane, and he hears these voices, almost voices of evil. And so here he is talking to Peter and just trying to uh, really not just fight him physically, but almost like, you know, the the devil in in the Bible. He is just trying to uh, tempt him, you know, saying, well, you know, people like to see uh, heroes fail. So why bother, as you say, and Spider-Man replies, well, because it's the right thing to do. He tempts him saying, hey, we could make a great team. But um, Peter's chosen a different path. Uh, the Green Goblin is now you know, all about self-destruction, hurting and killing people, and his own tortured, insane, uh, psychotic self. Peter is really turned to the light, if you will, to help people. So he won't be tempted. He won't use his forces to hurt people. He'll use his superpowers to help people. So really, it's a fight of physical strength, superhero strength, but it's also a fight of character, a fight of evil against good. So there's this battle is fought on multiple levels. Yeah. And that, that scene is also interesting because it spotlights uh, another key truth about crucible leadership, this idea that, that, that the Green Goblin is saying, they're going to hate you anyway, right? They love to watch heroes fall. They build you up so they can knock you down. And one of the things that you say a lot that we say a lot on the show and that you say a lot at, at through crucible leadership is don't let the naysayers deter you or, or adulation distract you as you are executing your vision for a life of significance. Significance is not something you find in public opinion. Don't test the winds and, and go with the way the winds are blowing. It's something you find within. And that's what Peter calls on when the goblin tries to tempt him. He's, 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 he's learned that lesson from Uncle Ben. It's such a great point. Um, you know, one of the most important things I think listeners would do well to ponder on is, you know, if you're looking to be the hero 
and you know save the day and the you know the big the like the knight in armor on the white horse danger lies there if you you know some would say with some degree of um truth and veracity maybe i had a bit of a hero complex when i launched the 2.25 billion dollar takeover of my family's 150 year media company way back in 1987 and this you know not consciously but you know i felt like the company was being run by some other folks uh, in my family and others, not along the ideals of the founder, whether it's true or not, it's another story. But there, there was a little bit of that savvy hero complex there, I got to confess. But yeah, you, you've got to watch that because um, certainly, you know, I've been through periods where some people said, oh, you could be one of the greatest Fairfaxes since the founder, John Fairfax. And others said, we've been praying for a person of faith to rise up in the heart of the media for decades, and all that's pretty heady, tempting stuff. And then others at the time and subsequently were like, well, you single-handedly destroyed a 150-year-old company, and you do this uh, erratic kid at the time who could have had it all, threw it all away, so you just impetuous and uh, showed poor judgment. And, you know, maybe sometimes there's a little bit of truth in either stereotype, but you, you cannot be defined either by the adulation you receive or by the condemnation. Ultimately, your sense of self-worth should be in your faith, in your values, in the core of your beliefs that are at the heart of your soul. Mm-hmm. That's what should govern your sense of self-worth, not the adulation because you're the greatest thing, you know, since the, you know, uh, since Jesus or you're the worst person that's ever lived. Both are probably wrong. So you've got to anchor your belief and your self-worth in something beyond public opinion. And that's what Peter Parker does. I mean, he's seen as a vigilante, you know, I think as you mentioned, the editor of the, of the Daily Bugle, you know, you know, for his own reasons, paints him as a vigilante. So he's not, you know, public opinion is very divided over whether he's a force for good or evil, uh, Spider-Man. But he does not let that deter him from his mission. Right, right. Pretty significant thing then happens in the movie. The Green Goblin discovers Spider-Man's true identity. He realizes uh, he is Peter Parker. He knows Peter Parker because Peter is the best friend of Norman Osborn's son, Harry. Uh, So he recognizes who Spider-Man is. And then he, he's, he, he, that's the key he believes to defeating him. He, he says this um, when he's talking to himself, that evil side is talking to the Norman Osborn side. The cunning warrior attacks neither body or mind. He says, first we attack the heart. So he attacks Aunt May and he kidnaps Mary Jane. And that is, I think, one of that, that idea, what, what, what Norman Osborn, Green Goblin says in that moment is a platinum truth of crucible leadership we need to remember every day. Those things that will discourage us most, that pose the greatest danger to knock the wind out of our sails and change the trajectory of our lives, are the things that hurt us in our hearts and our souls. That's why, as we've talked about so much on the show, we must always be mindful of what I've heard you call dozens of times, soul care. Why is that so critical for all of us as we look to avoid crucibles, weather crucibles, and pursue a life of significance? It's such a great point. You know, one of the things that most religions 
I'd say many people believe is there is a fight, if you will, between good and evil out there. I can't think of any religion that does not believe that. And so, you know, whether, you know, you view it that way or more metaphysically, like in Star Wars, where it's, you know, the force, the force for good versus the dark side, that's true. And what I love about this movie is it isn't just a fight at a physical superhero level between good and evil. This voice, almost in a psychotic, schizophrenic way, talks to um, Norman Osborn as the goblin and unfortunately mentors him exceptionally well. Mm. From a dark side perspective, it's fantastic advice if you're on the dark side. Don't just attack the person physically, crush their soul. If you crush their soul, you will stop their ability to win, their ability to fight. Doesn't quite say it in those words. But when that uh, evil entity, if you will, you know, just talking, just talks about, you know, that the, the battle is basically about hurting their hearts and hurting their souls, you know, that is just so, so sad. And, you know, uh, is, um, we see just later on, he, uh, the way the Green Goblin does this uh, to attack Peter's heart is by attacking Aunt May, his beloved Aunt May. And there's an incredible scene where, uh, you know, the Green Goblin, she say, knows who he is, and he proceeds to attack Aunt May, who, you know, to reiterate this whole good versus evil, she's reciting the Lord's Prayer. Right, right. You know, she's saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, you know. She's reciting that as this evil is happening, and the Green Goblin is saying, continue. Like, loves the whole good versus evil right, fight. Right. Keep it up, you know. It's almost like taunting, you know, almost like, you know, Satan in the wilderness with Jesus kind of thing, you know, just taunting. It's so true. And I think the lesson for all of us is guard your hearts, guard your soul. Where your heart and soul is, is where your whole life is, where your whole direction is. So that's your know, soul care, physical fitness, eating right, really important. But, you know, dig down into what you believe is the ultimate truth, whether it's faith whatever religion that would be, uh, beliefs, philosophy, make sure you're 100% grounded every day with practices that guard your heart and your soul. Because you lose a battle for your heart and your soul, you've lost a battle for your whole life. So that is the ultimate Fort Knox of your life, that you, uh, you guard it with every fiber of your being, your soul. It's absolutely critical. Aunt May's in the hospital after she's attacked by the Green Goblin. There's a scene in the hospital where she's talking to Peter. Again, no idea he's Spider-Man. None of that. Just knows he's 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 Peter Parker. He's worried about his his beloved Aunt May. There's a scene that 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 moved you when um, uh, they're talking about uh, Mary Jane, and she's she's urging him to just get you know quit keeping it a secret and tell her how you feel. Why can't you tell her how you feel? Um, uh, but th- there was a scene there that moved you. Uh, talk about that a little bit. You know, one of the subtexts in this movie is Peter has loved Mary Jane his whole life. And Mary Jane really sees something in Peter. She's sort of evolving into, because she's, you know, like a lot of folks attracted to the, you know, the strong, handsome football player. Uh, But there's something in Peter that she admires. You know, Peter then gives, who is really himself fantastic in empathy and encouragement, he gives actually Mary Jane that compliment. He says, when you look at Mary Jane's eyes, you know what kind of man you want to be. You have reached the unreachable. You feel, you know, 
stronger yet weaker. Like basically she kind of, I don't know, bores into your soul or just, um, you know, that she just has this effect on you that's hard to describe. And I think we all want people who um, make us be the man or woman that we want to be, Mm -hmm. that we feel we could be. And he sees in Mary Jane as somebody who also believes in him. It's not just he believes in Mary Jane. She believes in Peter Parker, as we'll see, uh, you know, towards the end of the movie. She admires him. She admires his soul. And just having, yeah, she has Aunt May and Uncle Ben, but he has somebody that he deeply loves who absolutely 100% really believes in him. And that that's huge for him. He just... Um, he just, there's something about her that inspires him to be better than himself. So it's a wonderful, wonderful scene. This is not a spoiler. It's a superhero movie. Heroes beat villains. Spider-Man defeats the Green Goblin in the end. And there's a great scene during the final battle that I really loved when, when all these everyday New Yorkers gather around the scene of the, of the fight that's taking place kind of up in the air on a scaffolding. And, you know, there's all kinds of, you know, the green goblin has his glider that he's, he rides on and Spider-Man's got his webs and they're fighting all above the, um, the earth there. Um, but all these, these, these New Yorkers from all walks of life gather to, to cheer on Spider-Man and to, and to go against the goblin. And, um, they start throwing things at the green goblin who's got like these bombs that can, you know, radiate you, right. That can just make you vanish. Um, he's got bombs that'll blow things up. He's, he's, he's a very high tech, uh, guy who, you know, could kill any one of these, these average New Yorkers who are, who are chiding him, but they're, they're, they're telling him to leave Spider-Man alone and they're throwing rotten fruit at him, (laughs) throwing stuff at him. Uh, and there's, you know, there's scores of them, maybe hundreds of them up there. And one of them says this, you mess with one of us, you mess with all of us. That is, it's a small scene, but it's a critical truth about the importance of living a life of significance. Our life of significance can inspire others to lead lives of significance. We change the world by changing the people living in the world. And what Spider-Man has done through his acts of dedicated to saving New York, to serving New York and its citizenry. What he has done is inspired that same kind of selflessness in the people of New York. If you blink, you'll miss the scene, but it's really a powerful truth about what crucible leadership aims to teach, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, Gary. I mean, it's a great scene in which maybe not every New Yorker thinks that Spider-Man's a hero, but he sees it uh, in this final scene, or one of the final scenes, uh, Spider-Man is trying at the same time to save Mary Jane and uh, also save people that are uh, in this uh, tram, uh, the Roosevelt Island tram that connects Roosevelt Island with uh, Manhattan. I've actually traveled on that tram, uh, funnily enough, uh, but fortunately the Green Goblin wasn't around, so that was good. Yeah, you escaped there. Good for you. (laughs) Exactly. You know, hopefully a a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man would have saved me. But um, it's a great moment where Spider-Man is inspired, in a sense, Peter Parker is by his Aunt May and certainly his Uncle Ben in that scene about using, you know, uh, your powers for good to help others. And here he's inspired other people, uh, fellow New Yorkers, who, uh, you know, throw stones and whatever they can against the Green Goblin. As, you know, he's inspired a bunch of folks. And 
when you feel like you're living a life of significance, we always talk about if you can help one person, that's enough. More, that's great. But it's not about numbers, but it's it's making a difference in people's lives. And, you know, Peter Parker is not just saving them physically, he's also saving them in terms of characters, helping them become people that also lead lives of significance. They're focused on helping others. These folks are trying to, you know, help uh, Spider-Man and combat the Green Goblin and maybe save those poor people on that tram. So it's it's a great it's a great scene. That's you know one of the final scenes before we get to the the ultimate uh, you know conflict between Spider-Man and and, and the Goblin and, and the continuation of that scene is also very powerful. Yeah, and and in the continuation of that scene, again, not a spoiler, um, the Green Goblin is indeed killed by his own glider, and the and the and the the trident or the things on the front that stab him to death when he's trying to use it to kill Spider-Man. And speaking of Spider-Man's character, Peter Parker's character. In that moment, as the as the Green Goblin lay dying, again, the Green Goblin is Norman Osborn, who's the father of um, of Peter's friend Harry. There's something that transpires that that the Goblin asks him to do, that um, that Peter uh, weighs, and his response to it speaks to his character and the truth that sometimes living out of your character causes you some some challenges it can cause you it's not always easy to live your life according to your values and your character how does that play out in the in in the death scene of the green goblin yeah i mean it's a great scene so as you say green goblin takes off his mask reveals that he's norman osborn and you know norman pretends to befriend peter it's all a trick it's all just a device. Again, it's right out of the evil, you know, playbook, if you will. He says to Peter, you know, I, I was like a father to you, you know, while he's, you know, manipulating some remote device to get his uh, glider thing all geared up to, you know, kill Peter Parker, Spider-Man, you know, behind his back. And so in this retort to Norman Osborn saying, hey, I was like a father to you, Peter says, I had a father. His name was Ben Parker. Right. Now, obviously, that's Uncle Ben. That's not his actual father. But in that moment, he's saying, Ben Parker was the father I knew, the father that raised me. And I loved him. You know, basically, you're, you're not, you're certainly no Ben Parker. You're not. And so it's a wonderful. And it gives scene. him the chance. And, it gives Peter Parker, Spider Man, the chance to redeem that last moment he had with Uncle Ben, where he said, "You're not my father," or "Stop acting like my father if you're not my father." He redeems that part in in this in this final scene with the Green Goblin, and then beyond that, he has to you know make a decision. Absolutely, and well, very well said. And so, sort of poetic justice, uh, the Green Goblin gets killed by his own device. So Spider Man doesn't actually kill him. He just moves out of the way to, uh, and you know this uh, de- device with the trident um, kills the Green Goblin, and so then you know as uh, Norman Osborn has moments to live, he says to Peter, you know, please don't tell my son Harry who I am and what happened, because basically you know he wants his son to think well of him, to uh, Peter's great costs in subsequent movies. Peter does not reveal uh, that Harry's father, Norman Osborn, was the Green Goblin. And he keeps that promise 
as we'll find to his great cost. He does the honorable thing to uh, really out of love and care for his good buddy, Harry. It's a very kind thing that he does and a noble thing, but it would come at great cost, as we'll see in later movies. Absolutely. Uh, so the end of the movie then is all set up uh, at that point for the hero to get the girl, right? We all love to see that happen in, in these kinds of movies. There's been lots of tension. There's been lots of conflict. There's this, 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 un, this, this unrequited love between two characters. We want to see them get together. And that almost happens at the end of this movie. Mary Jane confesses her love to Peter. As much as he loves her, though, he tells her he doesn't love her, that he just wants to be her friend. He's determined, we hear him say it in an internal monologue, that no matter what I do, no matter how I try, the ones I love will always be the ones who pay. The price of his life of significance, of serving and saving the city, is he can't get the girl. But teaser alert, at least not yet. Uh, He does indeed get the girl uh, in Spider-Man 2, and there's even some suggestion that he might get the girl in Spider-Man 3. Um, That's a pretty steep price. You know, we a lot of times we can think that living a life of significance then coincides with living like we have everything we want. That necessarily isn't true in real life, R-E-A-L, or in real life, R-E-E-L, in this case. Peter doesn't get everything he wants, even though he's doing what he knows to be the right thing, the life of significance dedicated to serving others and living it very much on purpose to the point that he denies his own romantic feelings for the girl he's loved since he was six. Yeah, it's so true. It's such a great scene in the movie, and it really begins in just an incredible way in which Mary Jane uh, said when she thought she was about to die and she was dangling in the air along with the folks in the, you know, Roosevelt Island tramway uh, uh, car while the Green Goblin was, you know, fighting uh, Spider-Man. She said when she thought she was about to die, she thought of Peter. Now, that you know, she doesn't know Peter Parker's Spider-Man. And, you know, for most folks, it's like, well, who wouldn't fall, you know, you know, what girl wouldn't fall in love with Spider-Man? He's the hero. He's the superhero. Peter Parker is just Peter Parker, you know. And in fact, she has fallen in love a little bit with Spider-Man. They have that the the, the iconic yeah. film kiss where they kiss in the rain. <laughs> she's kind of drawn to Spider-Man because he's so heroic, but she has no idea that it's her it's her friend Peter um, or her the the man now that she loves Peter. She has no idea about that when she when this scene happens. Absolutely, yeah, so true. And so, but in sometimes when you think this is going to be my last moment on Earth, I'm about to die. You know, reality gets really crystallized. What is it you value? Who do you really love? And she loves Peter. You know, she said there's only been one man for her. She says Peter makes her feel that she is more than she could be. You know, and she tells him that he that 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 uh, that she loves him. And basically, I think it's because of his character. She falls in love with his character, with the, you know, the good man that Peter Parker is, is always caring for others, empathizing and encouraging them. She feels like she can be a better woman with Peter by her side. You know, she, you know, makes her feel that she can really believe in herself because Peter helps her believe in herself. It's a great scene. So that is, would be incredibly affirming. And I'm sure Peter, you know, was moved deeply 
But as you say, internally he realized, he says, I'll always care for you, I'll always be there, but we'll have to be friends. Because he feels like that, as you say, his internal monologue, everybody that I care for, I put in danger. And so his higher purpose is to care for others, especially Mary Jane. And by being, you know, her boyfriend and maybe husband one day, he feels like she'll be in danger. So it's almost like, you know, inside is saying, I love you too much right. to, you know, love you in the way that you want me to love you. He, She can't know that he's thinking that. And not only that, not only do I love you too much to have a, a serious relationship with you, my duty is to other human beings, is to humanity, is to men and women, and to protect and serve and save them. And I can't have anything derail my higher purpose. It's the ultimate sacrifices. He sacrifices his, the love of his life to protect her because he loves her so much, and also because his highest purpose is to serve others. It is the ultimate life of significance. It's an incredible, heroic, in almost the ultimate selfless act on so many levels. Yeah. So there's one beat from the most recent iteration of Spider-Man uh, that's that's worth pointing out just because it, it reflects most of what our conversation has been about here are, are the high points of, of this conversation of Spider-Man 2002. And that is in the most recent iteration of Spider-Man, uh, he doesn't have an Uncle Ben. He has, as I've said before, he has an Aunt May who makes me feel really old because the actress Marissa Tomei, who plays her, is younger than I am. <laughs> I just, I, I don't know how I'm ever going to get over it. I'm never going to get over that, uh, actually. Um, but in uh, in the, the current iteration of Spider-Man, it's not Uncle Ben, but Iron Man, who takes him under his wing perhaps under his armor <laughs> and teaches him to believe in himself, to trust his powers, to trust the goodness inside him. And, you know, as we wrap up here, um, that's really a role uh, we all should look to play in encouraging others pursuing their lives of significance, isn't it? I mean, there's in every Spider-Man iteration, there's that character or characters who speak encouragement, life, uh, affirmation, into the hero, and that's part. That's a big reason of why he becomes a hero. That's a great lesson for us as we're interacting with people to to help them become heroes, quote unquote, by doing the same thing, isn't it? It's so true. You know, it's um, it's hard to think of people that have done heroic things without um, somebody that just uh, believes believes in them. I mean, it's really the power of both encouraged encouraging and being encouraged. Having an Aunt May and Uncle Ben that, um, or in some sense a Mary Jane that really believe in you, it can help you be better than you thought you could be. It could help you be everybody, everything you dreamed about in terms of who you are as a character and how you would serve others. But I think it also speaks to a few times in life do we focus on encouraging others? I've often found people think things, but they don't say it. I have this mantra, if you will, in terms of uh, uh, things on a positive side. If you see something, say something. In other words, if you see something positive, say something. I've tried to do it with people I know, with the nonprofit boards I've served on. It's, I'm not perfect, but it's one of my highest values, is if there's something that you see that is worthwhile, Mention what it is and be specific and don't hold back because 
you know, it's like rocket fuel to you. Well, it would be like, like rocket fuel to others. And especially when we're in our lowest moments, you know, I think back in the early 20s of when uh, President Franklin Roosevelt was stricken with polio. He was, I don't know, maybe early 40s or something. He was, you know, in the, in the height of life. And he gets polio, which back then was a death sentence. You know, you were meant to hide away. It was shameful for whatever reason in society. And his wife, Eleanor, just believes in him, saying, you know, your life is not over. You know, you can have a political comeback, which back then would seem unthinkable. And, you know, uh, his, his mother, uh, Sarah Roosevelt, was more, yep, you should stay home and lead a quiet life. I mean, I'm sure a wonderful woman, but, you know, that wasn't helpful. His mother's advice. What was helpful is the rocket fuel from Eleanor Roosevelt. In his darkest moment, he believed in him. You know, without Eleanor Roosevelt, there would be no uh, Franklin Roosevelt uh, as president in, in the height of depression, uh, at the height of World War II. So can you imagine World War II or the depression without Franklin Roosevelt? It's, it's unthinkable. It's a scary thought. Who knows what the United States or the world would be like? So having an Eleanor Roosevelt in your life or an Aunt May is, uh, is critical. And being an Aunt May or an Eleanor Roosevelt, you don't know who you're talking to you know, uh, what, who they'll be in terms of character or anything else in life. So it's really, it's a great, it's a great model for us, uh, you know, Aunt May and uh, Uncle Ben in this movie. And that's a great on-ramp to um, the reflection uh, question that uh, we have for this episode. Every time we do one of these, these dialogue episodes, especially here in the series, we want to leave you listener with something to ponder. And I'll, I'll talk about this work and then I'll throw it to you to bring some, some, you know, to pull the balloon strings together and put the bow on the package. But here's the reflection uh, point for uh, you listener. The movie really shows the power of encouragement. We've talked about it this entire episode, whether it's uncle Ben believing in and guiding Peter to become a man of character or Peter supporting Mary Jane as she pursues her dreams of becoming an actress. So ask yourself this question, who in your life needs encouragement? Who needs to know that you believe in them? Now to Warwick's point, go tell them. Turn the podcast off right now and go tell them. And be specific about the character traits you see fueling their success, but also their significance. Be as specific as you can be about those things that you want to affirm in them. Be, this should be a bumper sticker. Be someone's Uncle Ben, right? Be someone's Uncle Ben. If you, if you get nothing else out of this show, get this. Be someone's Uncle Ben. Get that or whatever it is Warwick's going to leave us with at the end. Warwick, wrap it up for us. Well, I think that is a great point to end on, I have to say. Uh, but to reiterate what you're saying, Gary, you never know who you're going to affect. It may that somebody may achieve greatness like a, you know, Franklin Roosevelt or, or, you know, maybe not quite at that level, which who of us, who of us do. But when you think about a life of significance, a life on purpose dedicated to serving others, there are fewer greater ways to live a life of significance than to encourage others, especially at their lowest moments or and they're, where they're in the bottom of the pit. And just not just saying that you believe in them, but telling them why you believe in them and being there for them. Don't just do a one and done. 
You know, they're probably going to need to hear it more than once. And it's not flattery. Flattery is saying things that aren't true, which I absolutely don't believe in. Encouragement is saying things that are true, that the person is going to have difficulty believing in their, lo in their lowest moments. But, you know, be specific, talk about their character traits. And if you have to think of, well, you know, how can I think of who to pick? Pick whoever comes to your heart. But certainly, if you have a friend or somebody that you know well, especially because it gives you a bit more of a right to speak, think of somebody that maybe today is their lowest day. Maybe they're in the bottom of the pit. Give them some words of encouragement. That would be like drops of grace in a soul that's, that's parched, that may not have much you know, ability to move on. So just think of, think of that person who you can encourage and just make a difference in their life. Because that's, to me, it's almost one of the ultimate ways of living a life of significance. That is a perfect place to end the show. So thank you, listener, for spending time with us on this fifth episode of our series, Lights, Camera, Crucibles, in which we're talking about the lessons we can learn, the inspiration we can draw from our favorite movie heroes, be they superheroes, action heroes, historical heroes. Next week, just so you can do the, the advanced uh, screening of the film, if you wish, we're going to talk about another one of my favorites, Die Hard. Uh, the the first Die Hard from 1987, starring Bruce Willis. Um, lots of great Crucible experience uh, information in there. In fact, we've published a blog at crucibleleadership.com a couple years ago around Christmas time uh, because Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Just so you know, there's a lot of there, there's a little bit of confusion about that, some 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 controversy. But I'm telling you. From the co-host of the show here, it's a super, it's a Christmas movie, and it's a bit, and it's a bit of a superhero movie you know, as well. But until the next time we're together and we talk about Die Hard, we ask that you remember this: that we understand your crucibles are difficult. Those experiences can knock the wind out of your sails. They can make you feel as if uh, your the trajectory of your life has changed. Certainly, Peter Parker's trajectory of his life has changed. Changed. Uh, when as Spider-Man, he encountered some of those crucibles that the Green Goblin threw at him. But if we learn the lessons from them, if we if we apply those lessons moving forward, and Peter applied some lessons that he learned from his Uncle Ben about, about uh, character, about um, with great power comes great responsibility. If we learn those kinds of lessons through the difficult times in our lives, then we'll make the, the, the times ahead in our lives less difficult. And we'll, in fact, in the most rewarding outcome that we can get is they will lead us to, as they led Peter Parker and Spider-Man to, a life of significance.